But there are different ways to, um, to categorize people, to divide people kind of into opposing groups. And, and so we could, we could do that right now. There are, there are dog people and there are cat people. Let's do a quick show of hands. Are you a dog person? Cat person? Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. It's, it's all right. Uh, we have a cat, so I, I understand. Mustard or mayonnaise? All the mustard people? All right. Mayonnaise? All right. Be proud. That's good. Yeah, you're, you're on the right team. Um, who, who, who tends to be more extroverted? All right. More introverted? All right. You don't want to raise your hand. I know it's a big group. It's okay. We're friends. Um, that's, that's a common one, and that, that goes back to the, the, the previous century. Carl Jung was a psychologist, and that was kind of his way of saying that all people are on this continuum of extrovertism, introvertism, and, and so they're, they're, we're all kind of in, in one of those categories to some degree or another, and I'm not advocating that, uh, those categories in any strict sense, but, but, we, but they can be helpful, and I think we can understand that and describe our personalities. Extroverts tend to be more... Um, more to, to enjoy lots of human interaction. And they tend to be more outgoing and talkative and gregarious. Introverts are, tend to be more reserved. And they can, get, they can get worn out by lots of interaction with people. Um, they prefer more solitary activities generally, so reading and writing and kind of those solo hobbies. Um, but listen, even even introverts don't want to be all alone, all the time. Um, as image bearers of God, we're all made for community. We're made for relationship. And we all, we all know this intuitively. I tend toward introversion, but when, when trouble comes, when tragedy strikes, when I'm in a, in really in a time of discouragement, I, I, will, I will certainly thank God and I'll say to Brooke, I am so thankful to have you. I, I, I can't imagine going through this without you. And so, so we, we understand that. Being, being truly on our own, alone, isolated, with nobody on our side, that makes for a miserable existence. Um, we, we can look several examples in Scripture, but just one that quickly comes to mind is Elijah. He felt this way. He was in despair, and, and, he, and he complains to God that the Israelites, in, in 1 Kings 19.10, they have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, Killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And that, now that wasn't really the case, as God, God informed him, but that's how it felt to him. It seemed like he was all alone, and he was distraught over that. But in less dramatic ways, perhaps, I, I imagine that you've sometimes felt all alone. You, that everybody seemed against you, that you were on your own. Nobody understood you. Nobody was for you, on your side. And you can, you can be alone in a very crowded place. You may be feeling alone right here today in a room full of people. Um, it seems that Jesus' disciples were starting to, to fear being left alone the more that Jesus talked about His imminent departure. He would die. He would leave. He was going to prepare a place, but where He was going, they can't come. And so Jesus sees this, this kind of trouble on their faces and, and, he, and he knows their hearts. And so he comforts them. He reassures them that, 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 that regardless of how they feel, they will not be left alone. They will never be alone. 
And this is true. This is a word we all need today. We all need it throughout our lives. We, no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you will walk through tomorrow, you can be assured, if you belong to Christ, that you will never, ever be alone. You know, we, we maybe if you're a parent and you have small kids or you remember having small children or grandchildren, you, you comfort a, a scared child at night, whether it's a storm or whether they're afraid of the boogeyman or something like that. And so you go into the room and, you know, you look under the bed and you look in the closet. Everything's fine. You check the latches on the windows, make sure they see it. And you, you, you go and you pull the covers up under their chin and tuck them in securely and get them nice and, 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 and kiss them on the head. And then you say, you, you don't have to be afraid I mean, as a Christian parent, you would say something like this, that Jesus is here. He's with you. He's with you. Brothers and sisters, that's not, that's not nursery nonsense. That's adult biblical truth. If you're in Christ, that is, that is, that is truth. That's reality. And this is, what, this is what we see in this text in verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father... And see, Father, Son, Spirit involved. I, Son, ask the Father. He will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. So those who belong to Jesus, those His disciples, they will never be left alone. And so that's what we want to see this morning in in this lengthy passage. There are a lot of interesting, large, spectacular, you know, trees in this text today, but we don't want to miss the forest of this passage as we look at those. So, so the, the forest of these, of this passage, the main point of these verses is that, is the comfort that Christ gives by, by, by us knowing that we are never left alone because we have the Holy Spirit. So we'll stop and we'll gaze at a few trees at times and we're gonna to have to keep moving though. You can go back in your personal study and dig deeper in some of these verses and just dig deeper and deeper and deeper and it will be rich to do so. We just won't have time to do that this morning. But we're going to have four, four statements. And let me just go and tell you, the first point is going to be most of the sermon and then we'll, we'll pedal fast through the others. But we, we're going to kind of cover everything in that first point. The last three points are going to kind of cycle us back through and, and, and there's, there's kind of a pattern in this passage and you'll see this so we can cover the last three more quickly. But the first point is this. Is we can, we can know comfort, and that's, that's what we're talking about here in this text, the comfort that God gives, Christ gives to us. We can know comfort because the Spirit ushers us into the happy land of the Trinity. I'm borrowing that expression from uh, a book that's written on the Trinity. But, it, but, it, but he, that, that, the, that Christ, He forges a way for us. The Spirit forges a way into fellowship with the triune God. That's the first thing that we'll see. Now, we're going to plunge into some deep, deep Trinitarian waters in this text. And so I hope you got your breathing mask and you can, can handle this. Because stay, stay with me, though. This is, this is not fiction, Trinitarian fiction, like we have on the big screen right now. Uh, no comments about uh, popular culture right now. But the shack and all the many problems that that has, they really make a mess of the Trinity. We want to see what God's Word says, and this is, this is truth. But we, we said in our way back... However long ago we started the Gospel of John, in the first sermon I preached on the Gospel of John, I said this, and this is a quote, it's a book in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. Well, this section of John is deep enough for an elephant to do a cliff dive in. And so just know that going into it. So there's, 
there's no break again between what we looked at last week and what we're seeing today. And so Jesus is comforting the troubled hearts of his disciples after Judas has been sent away to do his dastardly work and betraying work. So verse 12, just back up to verse 12 so we get it in the flow. This was Jesus' comfort to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because, not in spite of the fact, but because I am going to the Father. And then what we're going to see today is going to really explain that. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so let's just pause there for a second. So one of the things we see, we'll see throughout this passage and we see throughout Scripture is the close connection that love and obedience have to each other. And so, so our love for Jesus isn't expressed by mere sentimentality. That's not it. Our, it's expressed in obedience. And so here, he says, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, keep isn't, isn't an imperative here anyway. It's a, it's a future indicative. And so what he's saying, it's, it's not so much an expression of obligation in this verse. It's a statement of fact. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus isn't saying, obey me to prove your love for me. He's saying, true obedience to him is enabled by virtue of this new and loving relationship you have with him. And so how, how will this new and loving relationship with Christ that expresses itself in obedience to His commandments, how, how will that be maintained after Jesus dies and leaves? And that's, I mean, you put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, and that's their struggle. Okay, Jesus, you're, you've given us these commands. We're trying to, trying to follow you, trying to obey you. But all they can think of is this physical, this, this uh, God incarnate Jesus in front of them. And you say you're leaving we're to love you and we're to keep your commands. How, how is that going to be maintained? And then he says in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And after the disciples heard this, their hearts were instantly comforted. That's right. No, it doesn't say that. That's not true. I mean, you think about it. The thought of another helper was not immediately Comforting to these men. They wanted Jesus. You can understand that. They've spent three, the last three years of their life with Jesus. They've eaten all the meals they've eaten together with Him. All the miracles they've witnessed. All, all the teaching they've, this powerful teaching they've heard. All of the piercing conversations. All the personal comfort that Jesus has given to them. They, they, want, they want Him. They, they left everything to follow their Master. They love Him. I mean, all the crowds that pressing in to hear Jesus, just to get kind of close to Jesus and just to, just to hear Him with their own ears and see these miracles with their own eyes. And yet, here are the disciples. They're in the inner circle. They saw everything. They saw what nobody else saw. They, they went everywhere with Jesus. They did not want this arrangement to end. Would you? I mean, we... we we put that, who would you rather have, the, the incarnate Jesus before you or, or to have the Spirit and to have another? That's a struggle. Say, we sing all the time. Uh, we sang in a few weeks ago, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. And I grew up singing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Whatever, whatever generational song you have, we, we as Christians, we know the name of Christ. We love Him. 
And, and so you, you put yourself again in the shoes of the disciples. And think of how this sounds. So don't think that after Jesus says he's going to send somebody else, they breathe this huge sigh of relief and said, oh, whew, good. We're good now. Jesus has to keep on explaining how his departure is actually for their good. And so, he, so what does he do? He promises to send another helper. There are two words in the Greek language that, that we translate in, in English as, as that little word, another. Um, there, is, there is one Greek word that means another of a different kind. And there's another word that means another of the same kind. So if I say to you, I'm, I'm going to get another form of transportation. So I, I'm going to sell my truck and I'm going to buy a Segway or something like that. So it's another form of transportation, but of a different kind. That's different than if uh, Miss Jody sends a pound cake to our house, hint, hint, um, and, and I eat a piece of a pound cake, a small piece, of course, but I holler at the kids, hey, can you get me another piece? So I'm saying another of the same kind. Well, what we have here is, is Jesus is saying he's going to send another helper of the same kind. In other words, whatever the disciples experienced Jesus doing during those three years with him, the Spirit will do the same. You, you get that. Spirit's work in them will, will be a continuation of Jesus' own work with them. Same kind of, and that, what does that mean for us? The same kind of ministry that Jesus had with his disciples on the earth is the same kind of ministry the Holy Spirit has in your life and mine today. We are not at a disadvantage. He says, I will send you another helper. Same kind. And, but, and look, and look, he says, it's an, it's an, what, what is this another one? It's, he's a helper. Now, your Bible translation, it may translate this differently. Some may say comforter or advocate or counselor. There's different ways to translate this. This is a, the, the Greek word when it's twisted into English, and you've probably heard this word if you've been around the church, is paraclete, not parakeet, but paraclete. And that's not a word we use every day, but I think counselor or helper is a very good English equivalent. But you take counselor, and we, we, we have probably one of two ideas pop in your mind when you hear counselor and and this is helpful for us to consider in the English language that some of you may you may think of a, a biblical counselor. You've got a personal problem and you're looking to somebody to help or so you go to a counselor and to help you work through an issue. We want we want to, to see a counseling ministry formed in this church and we we're gonna have a presentation to you soon and things are really happening there and very excited. We want to see more people trained in the and with the skills required and necessary to really skillfully apply uh, God's truth, His unchanging truth to the messy stuff of real life and in the context of real meaningful loving relationships and that's what counseling is and as we see it according to Scripture. So, so that's one idea. Is that, kind of, that kind of help. Another, another way we use counselor is, is more of an attorney in a courtroom kind of setting. Legal counsel. So on law and order or whatever law show you watch it, the judge might say, counselor, get to the point or something like that. So that's a, that's a way counselor is used. Well, the Greek word, it's really a combination of these two ideas. Neither, neither English idea gets it entirely. It is a legal word, but if you were appearing in Palestinian court in Jesus' day, you wouldn't go down to uh, Wessels and Dixon and uh, hire, uh, hire an attorney to represent you in court. So he would, you know, there would be a fee that would be exchanged. I'm sure Jeremy would comp it, but uh, no. 
or or you so you wouldn't go to that version or be Benjamin and Baruch or whatever it would be in Jesus's in, in that time. But you would you would, you wouldn't go to a, a law firm. You would you would what you would bring was your closest friend to testify on your behalf to stand up with you and for you support you. He would give testimony, advocacy, encouragement, counsel, help. That's the that's the idea. That's the Spirit's word. Jesus comforts his disciples with this thought that the triune God will provide nonstop counsel, help, care, comfort, advocacy for you. And, and, and so the Son will ask the Father, the Father will send the Spirit to be another helper, another counselor. Just as Christ provided that, so the Spirit will. And this helper will be with us, the text says, forever. Forever. And he goes further, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, so the Spirit is preeminently engaged in the, in the business of communicating and affirming what is true, reality, truth. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. So the Spirit, Spirit's invisible. Unlike Jesus in his, in his earthly ministry, He could be seen and touched and people could, could see God incarnate in Christ. The Spirit will not be like that. He's, he's invisible, he, but He's real. And He's active. He's not a force. He's a person. But, but, but the world can't conceive this. It, it's like, I mean, all around us right now, there are radio waves that are passing, passing by. We can't see radio waves. We can't hear them with our ears or anything like that or... Or, or feel them in our bodies, but what do you need? You need a radio. We turn on a, somebody had a little pocket radio or something like that, you could dial it in and pick up those, those, those radio waves, that frequency. Well, this is how it is. The world, they don't have a radio. They don't, the, the Spirit's moving, but they, they, can't, they can't perceive it. And we, who have been born again, we have, we have it. We can, we can interpret that signal. We know it. And so the Spirit goes unnoticed by unbelievers who have no spiritual life. But he says, you, however, know him. For he dwells with you, present tense, and will be in you, future tense. So you think in the immediate context, the disciples, they, they have some experience with the Spirit, that special enablement that, of the Spirit, that the Spirit has been with them. But at Pentecost... There's, the Spirit's going to come and He's going to indwell. He's going to be in them in a new way, in a permanent way, intimate way. The Spirit will indwell every believer. And so this is what He's saying. Then, then there's this tender promise of our Lord, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Oh, what an image for these disciples. Orphans. I mean, it's a... So, just, is there a more moving picture of aloneness? A child, a baby, left alone, vulnerable, helpless. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, just in our, in, humanly speaking, that reasons that babies and children become orphans. It could be disease or some kind of natural disaster or famine or wars or laws even. But nothing, nothing, there will be no reason there is nothing that will leave us in that condition spiritually nothing will separate us from god's love in christ jesus paul says in romans 8 no, nothing will do that there is no there's no circumstance that will make you orphans again you'll never be left alone 
This is, this is the, where the doctrine of adoption comes in. And, and, I mean, you know, the doctrine of justification is what we, we hang our faith upon. But the doctrine of adoption is, is a refuge for our souls when we're troubled. J.I. Packer, uh, in, in his book, Knowing God, classic work. But he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. And having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that is distinctly Christian, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. This still seems to me wholly true and very important. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. So, this is what Jesus says. I will not leave you as orphans. You won't be alone. We're we're not foster kids that just get moved around from home to home to home, different location, never know where we'll be. We're adopted sons and daughters of God. We will never, ever be alone again. Now, the, this apparent separation that's caused by Jesus' going away will for these disciples, it will be, in, in reality, it's not a separation at all. That's what he's saying, because his presence will continue through the Spirit. So, continue verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Now, I think that is a reference to resurrection, to, to the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on, because I live, you also will live. And that hope of future resurrection. Then verse 20, he says, in that day, I think that's now switching back to what we're talking about, Pentecost, when the Spirit will come and indwell believers. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now just pause for a moment. Look at the Scriptures. Let that just sink in your soul for a moment. What's being communicated there? That's a, that's a towering tree that we're just going to stop and look at for just a moment. The Spirit helps us to know that Jesus is in the Father, in His Father, and we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in, in us. You can chew on that for a while today. <laughs> the Spirit, as a continuation of Jesus' ministry, remember, He's another helper. He, he's a, he, he, he helps us just like Jesus helped us, and one of Jesus' main roles was teacher. And so here the Spirit helps us as a teacher, the Spirit of truth. He helps us to learn. He helps us in here in verse 20 to know. He doesn't just help us learn just kind of truth statements or doctrinal propositions. That's not the extent of it, just kind of proof text propositions. We can state the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in propositions, and that's fine, and we have to do that. So we can say there is only one God. This, this one God exists eternally in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God. So we say things like that to summarize what we say when we mean the Trinity, but that's not the full reality of the Trinity. You're not reducing God to three little pithy statements. And we need those to understand and, and see the, the whole of what Scripture teaches about who God is. But that's not it. That's not, that's not all the Spirit helps us to know either. You, you see this. The Spirit, He helps us to become immersed into the reality of our triune God. 
That's what he's doing. By the Spirit, we know, we know more than we can ever possibly explain about our God. I mean, it's just like a, a, a child. You see a child and they, they, they see the sun and they feel the warmth and they see the brightness and they look away and they see the clouds pass and see the shape. They, they're taking all of this in and they, they've never taken a science class to learn about the sun, but they're, they know the reality before they even know the explanation of it. Or a kid goes to the ocean. I remember taking our youth group in, when I was a youth pastor in college, we, we had a group of students that we took to Florida for youth camp. They had never, none of them had ever seen the ocean. And to go to those white sands in Panama City and, and to, to, to walk across that street and to see the expression on their faces as they saw the ocean for the first time and felt that sand, it was great. But they, 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 you know, they, they might have studied in class, but they hadn't experienced it. And, and so what I'm saying is you, you take in more. There's more to God. There's more to experiencing the Trinity than simply just knowing a few statements. We're immersed into the reality before we ever understand the explanation of it. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. Father, Son, Spirit, all that, was, all that was happening when you were brought from death to life, made to be born again, and your sins were forgiven, and you were redeemed, and you received adoption as sons, and sealed with the Spirit, you experienced all of that before you ever really could explain it. And so this is what the Spirit is, is helping He's helping us to, 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 to really know this. This is our life. We're born again into this eternal reality. And so out of God's great love, we've been created and redeemed by God to, to be brought into this Trinitarian reality. Everything we do, everything we are as believers is deeply Trinitarian, whether you recognize it or not. This is the air we breathe as believers. And the Spirit helps us to to tacitly know that, to sort of intuit, intuitively know that. Any of our explanations are simply catching up with what we've experienced of Him, what the Spirit has already worked in us. And so in your turbulence, this is again, get, let's, let's step back and let's see the forest again. Just speaking comfort to troubled hearts. In your turbulence, brothers and sisters, when life just seems in turmoil, you are, you are not alone. That doesn't just mean that God is for you or, or on your side from a distance, remotely from heaven. He's out there and, and so he's kind of looking down and saying, okay, yeah, I got your back, you know, hang in there, buddy. That's not it. You are, you are through the Spirit, you are, the, God is in you and you are in Him. This triune God. This is incredibly comforting to us. We are never... We can never be alone because of the Spirit. All right, let's keep going. We're not done yet. We're not even done with point one yet. All right. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Another beautiful, massive tree that we're going to have to walk sort of quickly by. But just say, the Christian life, it's not about moralism. It's not about religious activities. It's not about going to church on Sundays. That's, that's not the sum total. Those are, those are, there are activities that we involve ourselves in. There are, there are those means of grace that God gives us and we need to, to give ourselves to. But the core of it is being loved by the Father and the Son. 
through the Spirit and having Christ show Himself to us, manifest Himself to us. That's, that's our life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the great work of the Spirit in our lives to help us to know more of Jesus and His love. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and listen to this, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let's just back up. Verse 23. Spirit is counselor, helper. He's teacher. And then here we see he's, he's someone has said, he's homemaker. He's a homemaker. We will come to him, make our home with him, the one who loves me and keeps my commandments. This word home, it's, it's only, it only occurs twice in the New Testament. Both times it's in John chapter 14. The other is in verse 2. So this is a singular form of that word we looked at a few weeks ago. In my Father's house, home, are many dwelling places. Here, again, it's a singular form. So the, to the, the Christian then is someone who through the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, came come to, to make our lives homey. Maybe would be the best way to say it. To, to make at home, a place where God Himself says to His Son, we can really be at home here in your life. <laughs> you see that? That's crazy. Spirit comes to prepare our lives so the Father and Son can just could be at home in our lives. I, I heard this illustration this week and I, I was helped by it. And, uh, but just comparing, we, we, we speak of homemakers today. I know that's not probably the... The, the expression or the, that we tend to use, but some of you ladies, if you're filling out a, a occupation on a form or something like that, you might put down homemaker. Maybe that's still a label that's used. And so people, are, what do you do? And you tell them, and you say, "Oh, you're you're just a homemaker." That's demeaning. Um, that's 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 this is an honorable work. I'm not. It's not the only work. It's it's not the only work for women, but it. It's, a, it's an honorable work, but being a homemaker is an anonymous role. It really is. You, you think about it. You, if you're a homemaker, you've probably, you probably have a new name. You were born as a Smith, and now you're Jones, maybe, or something. You, you know, you've changed your name, perhaps. You, or you, you, or you're, you're Larry's wife, or something like that. Is how sometimes maybe you're referred to. But you're, you're so much more than that. <laughs> And you know that. I mean, you're, you know that, but your family really knows this. Um, everyone in your family, everybody close to your family knows this. Nothing happens in the home without the homemaker. I can testify to that after Brooke being gone for a few days, and my kids can really testify to this. Um, and and so we're, it's a reminder of how much we need Brooke, the, the 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 part that she plays in our in our home. I I I struggled for 30 minutes on Friday night trying to put a duvet cover. I, I thought I was going to do so well and wash this and try to help out. I couldn't get the thing back on. I watched YouTube videos. I called Brooke and trying to get help. I'm reading diagrams. I gave up. I said, "Honey, I'm going to bed. I'm just going to get a blanket from the living room. I can't do this." And so she came in, did put it right on, and. I'm like, I'm helpless. Uh, 
But not just in that kind of stuff. Our home is a happier, livelier, uh, warmer place and more functional place, too, because of Brooke. And, and, and that's how it is with the Holy Spirit. That, that outside of the family, Holy Spirit's kind of anonymous. It's kind of strange. Holy Ghost. It's kind of, kind of weird. Kind of, he's kind of, his work's kind of demeaned. Uh, hidden. Seems unimportant. But inside the family, we get it. We bet, I hope we do. Uh, the, 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 the inside the family, every person in the family will say, yes, our Father is strong, but nothing happens without the Spirit. It, no, nothing, the Spirit is what makes this home work. He's the homemaker. The Spirit's active. He points us to Christ. He shows us the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. He, he cleans up our lives and makes our lives a place where the Father and the Son can be at home. It's the Spirit. It's His work. He does so many things. And that, that, that may be one of the best explanations of the Christian life that we see here. The, the Holy Spirit is making our lives ready for the presence of the Father and the Son. This is one of the reasons, brothers and sisters, we have these struggles in the Christian life. This is not, it's not accidental. It's not just bad luck or change. The Spirit is in us and He's working and He's transforming us and He's changing us from one degree of glory to another. And, and so He's making our lives homey. C.S. Lewis in, in Mere Christianity says this, of this imagery. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what He's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you are not surprised. But presently, He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is He up to? The explanation is that He is building Quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. This, is, this helps us understand what's, what's happening in our lives. It's not, it's not chaotic. And so we say, Lord Spirit, do that in us. Come, do that. This is Jesus' comfort. He's comforting the troubled hearts of the disciples by assuring them they're never alone. Jesus, the Son, will ask the Father to send another helper, the Holy Spirit, to come and to usher us into this intimate, eternal, unbreakable fellowship with the triune God. That's, that's, that's comfort that exceeds any Difficult circumstances. I don't mean to minimize the, the reality of pain and suffering that you're walking through. That'll, that will sustain your soul. Second, we made it to point two. And we'll, we'll hurry from here. We can know comfort because the Spirit puts us in touch with reality. And we've said some of these things already. But He, he leads us into God's truth. He's the Spirit of truth. And Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 2.10 that the spirit, the spirit of truth is the one who searches everything, even the depths of God. There, there's, there's, he, the Spirit knows everything that God knows. 
You see, there's no, there are no secrets that are kept uh, by the Father and the, and, and the Son from the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't ever go to the Father and say, hey, I, I was wondering. No, you, we can't talk about that. That's not for you to know. The Son and the Father, again, they don't, they, 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 there's nothing between them, that business that doesn't concern the Spirit. No, the Spirit, He searches the depths of God's. And so Jesus says, you, you think and you know me, but I have far more to teach you. You've just begun to scratch the surface in, in what I've taught you so far. But the Spirit will lead you into truth. Given, given the interpersonal bonds within the Godhead and what we know, again, through propositional statements that we know through experience and we, we know what the Scripture teaches of, of just the, the, the relationships within the Godhead, there is this inseparable link between the Spirit of truth and Jesus' own statement, I am the truth. And so Jesus is pointing to this continuity between His work and the Spirit's work. The Spirit is simply coming to push forward Jesus' own ministry. There's not a break. It's not Jesus' Spirit. It's, it's another helper. It's a continuation. Verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, there are different ways to understand verse 26. I think there is a special focus here in what Jesus is saying, I think this promise relates to these men, the eleven, specifically those to Christ's apostles. This is about that unique foundational role that they will play in the formation of the New Testament church. I think that's what is being referenced here. In particular, it has to do with the way these men would be instrumental in bringing, the, bringing God's written revelation to a climax in the New Testament scriptures, what we have in our possession right now. They would be agents of God's special revelation through the work of the Spirit. I think that's, that's the role. I mean, this is, this is how the New Testament was written. It wasn't like John and Peter and the other, other guys, they, they're walking around you know, Galilee with little notepads, following like a reporter or something like that, a little notepad, and Jesus says something really profound. Okay, let's write that down real quick. And, and wow, did you see that? Let me write this down and give my account of this, thinking that, you know, maybe one day I'll write a book about this. That's not it. They did, they had, that wasn't on their mind. They weren't thinking about preserving anything or writing anything. They, they didn't think Jesus was ever leaving. So this was not on their mind. They, they, but the Spirit later, He brought to remembrance the things that Jesus had said to them. And so it's not, it's not that John had to rack his brain to recall, oh, what was it Jesus said, and uh, you know, trying to come up with a little memory aid and think back. No, the Spirit brought the words to mind when He needed them as He was writing and, and so, while, again, these words, they have unique application to the apostles. The Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, who He is, it hasn't changed. He's a spirit of truth to us as well. That's who He is. He's still the one who leads us into truth. He's, he leads us into saving truth, the gospel. He leads us into sanctifying truth. And so he, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't do so by means of giving us new revelation where we're writing you know, extra chapters in the Bible or anything like that. But he, 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 he sheds light on the meaning of Scripture through the illuminating work of the Spirit. And he leads us in, 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 in showing the implications of his, his truth in our lives and gives guidance to us. And he's, he's very active leading us in truth today. There's, there's, again, there's comfort of that. And when, when our hearts are troubled and everything seems out of order and we don't know what's real and, 
Now, when you talk about truth, don't just think of abstract truths. Think, what's true? What's real? Reality. God's Spirit leads us into reality. The reality is there is a triune God who has existed forever, and He never he doesn't lack anything. He doesn't exist as a trinity because for us. He doesn't exist as a trinity for anybody other than Himself. And, 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 and yet He folds us into this relationship with Father, Son, Spirit. And so this is reality. The Spirit leads us into truth. We need truth when we're troubled. Third, how can we know comfort? We know comfort because the Spirit is on a peacemaking mission. He's on a peacemaking mission. He gives, establishes God's peace. In the middle of all that Jesus says about the coming of the Spirit, He interjects in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And the peace Jesus gives, is, it's His peace. It's not, the world can't. It, it's not able to give, not able to have this kind of peace. This is a peace that's rooted in the sacrifice that Jesus would offer on the cross. And so that experience of peace, of, of hearts that are, are tranquil, are not troubled, that, that experience of peace, it's rooted in that objective peace that we know, the peace of God, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ that was accomplished at the cross. And, and so here he's saying, though, this is, the, this is the kind of peace. We don't need to be troubled. Peace of God will guard our hearts and minds according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, given the context, it's clear that God's peace, it, 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 through Christ, cannot be separated from the work of God's Spirit in our lives. It's just, his Spirit is active in connecting us with the peace of Christ. It's, a, it's, a, it's as the Spirit works in us, leading, to, leading us to apprehend God's truth showing us who Christ is, immersing us into the fellowship of the triune God, that, that the peace of Christ can be found in what circumstances we're walking through. And finally, fourth, we can know comfort because the Spirit will not fail. God's purpose will be fulfilled. And we've got to take one more big breath, and we're going to go deep for just a moment here, and then we'll resurface. Um, but, but Jesus, he's going to draw these threads together of, of who he is and why he came and what he's about to do. And he's going to show the comfort that's found in that unstoppable purpose of God. Verse 28, you heard me say to you, I, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, don't hear Jesus with kind of a whiny voice there. You know, you should be happy for me. I'm going to the Father. Why aren't you happy? That's not what he's saying. He's saying what seems like a time for sorrow is a time for joy. It's a time for joy. This is better. They, they don't have the faith. They don't have the maturity of love to recognize that. But this is, this is better. The Father is greater than I. Now that's not, uh, that's not a text that shows that, the, that Jesus is somehow some lesser God than the Father. The, Je, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach something like that. But, but that, that, you cannot make that argument honestly from Scripture, particularly from the Gospel of John. All that we've seen of the Father and the Son and their relationship. The Father and Son are one in essence and purpose. And have seen this throughout John. The, the reference to the Father being greater doesn't mean Jesus is somehow uh, less divine or less powerful than the Father. He's talking about the Father is in heaven. At this moment, in the incarnation, Jesus is on earth. He's in a state of humiliation. The Father is, is greater than I. He's in heaven. And, and, and at this moment, he's in a higher position. 
But Jesus is going back. He's going to return soon. And that's good news. It will, it, will, it will mark the Father's approval and acceptance of all that He's done, all His work that He's accomplished. His death and resurrection. Verse 29, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Again, we've, we've seen Jesus say something like this before in this section. Says, Jesus tender care for His disciples. He wants to strengthen their faith. And, and fulfilled prophecy will do just that. It will show that Jesus is who he says he is. and Jesus predicted his death, resurrection, exaltation, sending of the Spirit many times. And so when it comes to pass, after the initial shock, it will grow in them a deep faith. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. Through Judas, Satan is, and his forces, they're, they're moving against Jesus. But he has no claim on me. Sin leads to death. Jesus is sinless. And, and, and so Satan cannot have a claim for his kingdom of darkness. Sin and death have a hold on us. Uh, Satan has a hold on us because of sin and death in, in, in our lives. But Jesus is sinless. And Satan thinks that Jesus' death is going to be some great victory for him. But in reality, it's the opposite. It's Christ's victory. He's crushing the head of the serpent. And so, he has no claim on me. Verse 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Because Jesus loves the Father, he does everything the Father says, including being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But, but what I want you to see, you see the language of purpose here. God's sovereign will. I will go. I will come back. I am going to the Father. These things will take place. It's part of the plan. The ruler is coming. That's part of the plan too. Everything that's happening is part of the Father's will. He's commanded these things. It's not a series of unfortunate events, as we said several weeks ago. This is all happening according to plan. There's great comfort from the certainty of God's purpose being accomplished. And once again, this comfort isn't divorced from the Holy Spirit's work. He doesn't simply provide comfort and encouragement by, by, for, for us by simply stirring kind of warm and pleasant thoughts in us. No, he, he comforts us by pointing to the finished work of Christ and the unstoppable sovereign will of God. And so he says, the end of verse 31, Rise, let us let's go from here. Again, Jesus is showing his resolve to, to do the Father's will. He's in charge. Judas isn't setting the timetable. The chief priests aren't setting the timetable. The Sanhedrin is not setting the timetable. Jesus is in charge. It's time. He's not a helpless victim. Everything's happening according to plan. Now, the, the, either the rest of the upper room discourse doesn't happen in the upper room and, and it happens on the way to Gethsemane or... They don't leave right at that moment, and I tend to think that they probably stay. I mean, it's just a matter of minutes probably before they leave and he finishes this discourse. Um, but, but, but regardless, I, so I don't think that necessarily means that now they, they leave the room. But they're, his, his, he's showing his face is set. He's ready. Now, let me just say, I think the application for us, your, your life may seem chaotic at times, seems disorder seems just you're so unsettled. But listen, God is in you and He is working for your good. 
He has a purpose. He has nothing's happening by chance or accident. He is accomplishing his will, his purpose in your life. And there's there's comfort in that. Not everything. I mean there are it's not the only means of comfort. And that's what if we if we isolate that one without the context of everything else we've said about the comfort that Jesus gives, it, it kind of sounds harsh, but you put it in the context of all the other comforts. It's it's tremendous help for our souls. So so the Spirit, this is what we're saying. The Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in our lives, I mean, we are, we are never alone. What is the Spirit like? What, what is He like? You know, you know um, it, we, in systematic theology, you, if you, when you study pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you, you talk about His deity and His personhood, and those are great, wonderful studies and how He works. And, but, you know, we could say it simply like this. What Spirit's like? He's like Jesus. He's like Jesus. He's distinct from Jesus. He's the third member of the Trinity. But, but he's, he's another of the same kind of helper, counselor. He comes aside, alongside of us like Jesus. He encourages us like Jesus. He exhorts us like Jesus. He teaches us like Jesus. He helps us like Jesus. He grows us and transforms us and changes us like Jesus. And he's not on a rogue mission. He's not doing his own thing out here while the Father and the Son are taking care of home base. The Son asks the Father. The Father gladly sends the Spirit as our helper. The triune God is plotting for our good, our help. We are never, never, ever alone. That's a message we all need to hear. But in conclusion, I'm just going to read some passages of Scripture and and thinking of how this might apply to um, different people in our congregation today that are hearing today. If you're suffering, if you're maybe even being persecuted or some kind of opposition against you, just think of how this shows up. Romans 8, familiar passage. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who who can be against us? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He goes down, no... And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're never, we're never alone. What about the one who's doubting today? Maybe you, you lack assurance and you're just in turmoil all the time, wondering how can God love you and what you do. And Galatians 2.20 comes to mind. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I live, I, I now live in the flesh. I, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's great help. Christ lives in me. I am not alone. What about the one who worries about money? They have things and just the security and financial security. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What about the one who's timid and anxious and just kind of fearful? Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. What about some of you? Maybe you've been abandoned. Maybe you've been, been maybe you, or you've just been let down by, by people. It 
hurt by people who shouldn't hurt you. Psalm 27.10 For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. What about those who are tempted and you're, you're just fighting this battle with temptation and sin in your life and, and you, you, just, you just feel alone? 1 Corinthians 10.13 We know this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also presently provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You're not alone. For the hesitant. What I mean is, here we, saved by Christ, have been sent out on mission with Christ to make disciples of all nations. And maybe that thought, that task, just freezes you a little bit. And, and, and we see this in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. They, when they saw Jesus, verse 17, they, they worshipped Him, but some, some doubted. We've talked about this before. They, some hesitated. The, the implications of what this means, that Christ is risen from the dead, and what this means for their life, they're, they're hesitant. A little uneasy, a little nervous. So Jesus comes and says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, see this. Don't miss this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that's, that's a promise we need if we're going to really expend ourselves on this mission that God has called us to of disciple-making among the nations. Let's pray. Father, would you minister to us, God, through, through the application of this word in our lives. And there's just... Lord, your spirit needs to work. We've looked at a lot today. And I know many are weary after a long weekend, God. But I pray that you would bring some of these truths, some of these verses to recall. as We'll go back and study. And, and so minister by that illuminating work of your spirit to really ratchet these truths down in our minds and hearts. But minister to us also directly through the spirit and the inner man. And change us, God. Transform us. And draw, draw, just give us a, a more awareness of, of, of who we are and who you are and how we relate and God open open our eyes to really know that um, you are in the Father and, and the Father and, and, and we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And so help us to really understand this. We are never, ever, ever alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.